0: My mother had a plaque in her kitchen, an old beat-up plaque that said the talent you have is God's gift to you. What you do with that talent is your gift to God. I know of no one in my industry that ever did more for his God than Frank Sinatra.
1: You want to transform yourself and improve your life. You long to help people. You wish to become healthier, happier, and more successful. This show is your opportunity to learn how to use hypnosis to make your life better. Each week, hypnotist Robbie Spear-Miller interviews people who have already changed their lives in amazing ways with hypnosis. These models can help you discover your path to making the most of your life. If you want to learn how hypnosis can help you reach your goals, this show is for you. Last week, we had the pleasure of having comedian Tom Dreesen, the man who made Sinatra laugh, as our guest. He had so many great stories that we had to bring him back again to share Frank Sinatra's secrets for connecting with people and giving back to the world. So one of the things that I thought was really interesting when you were talking about Frank Sinatra in your book was that talking about like sort of where his magic came from, people's emotional connection to him was really, you know, amazing and so I know there was that you were mentioning about um, that he really knew how to express emotion, very real raw emotion in his music, and that people could really connect and relate to that. And so can you tell us some stories about his wisdom and how he lived his life that helped him be that kind of performer and connect with people that way?
0: there's several things. I'm, I'm glad you said I'm going to make a couple notes here because I'm going to go off here. When I go off on a tangent, I have to make notes because I go all over the place here. But okay. You know, because I get consciousness. First of all, why people, those who liked Frank Sinatra, those who liked his music, why they connected. His music was a soundtrack of their lives. People that went steady to his music. When somebody loves you, it's no good unless she loves you all the way, you know. Uh, They got married to his music, love and marriage, love. They got divorced to his music, sat in that bar alone. It's quarter to three. There's no one in the place. They got remarried to his music, love is lovelier the second time around. You know, (laughs) and his music was a soundtrack of their lives. And in the end, now the end is near. And though I face that final curtain, you know, my way. uh, So that's why they so were attached to him because his music became the soundtrack of their lives. I once said. at a memorial for Frank that all of us who love Frank Sinatra and loved his music, we know that now that he's gone, we know that tomorrow the sun is going to shine. It's just not going to be as warm as it used to be because his music was where we went, you know, even to this day when, when I, when I got knocked down and rejected, that's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. (laughs) I, Frank Heard me do that. <clears throat> Sometimes I'd be in my dressing room getting ready for the show, and I'm not a singer. I sang in the choir when I was a little boy, but and I'd be in my dressing room. I might be singing. He'd open the door, and he'd just look at me. He'd just stare at me. He wouldn't say a word. <laughs> Basically, you're singing.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, but you know, this oh. was a sound of our lives. What people didn't realize, the gift he had, most people forget what a brilliant actor he was. He won the Academy Award in the movie From Here to Eternity. What about The Man with the Golden Arm? What about The Manchurian Candidate? What about a movie called Suddenly? This was a brilliant actor. One night, sitting around at his compound in Rancho Mirage, with all these wonderful actors. The women had all gone to bed, and there was Clint Eastwood, and there was Robert Wagner, there was uh, Jack Lemon, Kirk Douglas, Gregory Peck, all of them sitting around. They were talking about film and acting and directing, and I'm, I'm like, I'm fascinated being in this, in this group because these were people I saw in the movies in Harvey, Illinois, when I was a little boy. You know, but they're talking about acting and directing. And I noticed they were showing great reverence to Frank Sinatra. And, and I was curious, because in Hollywood, everybody talks about who they studied with. You know, Strausberg or Stella Adler. You know, they all talk about who they studied with. And I was just wondering, who Frank, I said to Frank, did you study acting? And Gregory Peck grabbed my arm before Frank could speak. He said, acting lessons would have ruined him. He was a diamond in the rough that you didn't fool with. You know, so when you gave Frank a song to him, it was a script. What did the writer feel the night the writer took pen in hand? And he would immerse himself in that lyric and become that lonely guy in a bar whose woman left him. And he's never going to find love again. And you felt that. You felt that emotion. You know, that was his gift. He knew, he, you know, he, he just, he would sometimes get a song before he sang it in, in the recording studio and he, all day long he would walk around reciting that song as a poem when all the songs are out of tune and all the rhymes ring so untrue, you know, then you, you will be my music. You know, he would say that over and over like a poem. And then he'd go sing it when all the songs are out of tune and all the rhymes ring so untrue, you know, (laughs) and he was so special, so unique. There'll never be another Frank Sinatra. Now, One day, we're coming out of the Waldorf Astoria in New York City, and we were on our way to a gig. It was in the evening. We were rushing to the limousine. We went out the back way because if Frank went out the front, he'd got mobbed. Security was rushing us to the limousine, and a woman jumped out of the doorway. The doorman told me she'd been hiding there for five hours, and she started screaming, Mr. Sinatra, please, Mr. Sinatra, please, Mr. Sinatra. And he was getting in the limo, and he turned around. The security was holding the woman back, and he walked back to her, and he said, what is it? what is it man? She said, my husband is home ill. He's terribly, terribly ill. If I could get an autograph from you, it would mean the world to him. He said, sure. And signed me the autograph. She said, oh, what beautiful cufflinks. They were a couple thousand dollar cufflinks. They were very, very expensive. I know where he got them at. She said, what beautiful cufflinks. She said, thank you. He finished the autograph, handed it to her, and he took the cufflinks off. And he said, give these to your husband. She said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want them. I was just admiring them. He said, no, I want you to give these to your husband. Now we get in the car, and I said, Frank, that was beautiful. But why did you do that? He said, Tommy, if you possess something that you can't give away, then you don't possess it. It possesses you. Whoa, said, whoa, mm-hmm. well, that was never. And he said, Aristotle Onassis, who had billions of dollars and mansions and yachts and private jets, the second he died, that transferred. He was only using it. Nothing we have is ours, Tommy. You're only using it. And he not only talked that talk, he walked that talk. That was uh, other lessons. There were many other lessons that he taught me about show business and about life. He was, he was a, a special human being. Was he a saint? No, but he did some saintly things in his life. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it seems to me like he really wanted to have those opportunities to give to people when he could and to use what he had and his talent and his position to help people if possible.
0: More than you'll ever, ever know, because he didn't want people to know. Mm -hmm. He did not want anyone to know. My mother had a plaque in her kitchen, an old beat-up plaque that said, the talent you have is God's gift to you. What you do with that talent is your gift to God. And I said, Frank Sinatra sang his songs and millions of dollars were raised, and he built Protestant orphanages. And he's not Protestant. He sang his songs and millions of dollars were raised, and he built Jewish temples. And he's not Jewish. He sang his songs and millions of dollars were raised and thousands of African-American children went to college. And he's not African-American. If the talent you have is God's gift to you, but what you do with that talent is your gift to God, I know of no one in my industry that ever did more for his God than Frank Sinatra.
1: Amazing. And and it, and it seems to me like he really knew how to live life about possibility. He was creating his life. He wasn't controlled by fear. And I think a lot of people, when they, when they don't give to others or they don't honor their own talents and give them to the world, it's from fear. They're afraid they're going to fail or be heartbroken or ashamed or humiliated or something like that. Um, and it sounds to me like he was really, his focus was really about what, what he could do.
0: Well, also was he, you, when you watched him before he went on of 20,000 people, He was pacing, Mm -hmm. you know, he got nervous before a show, Mm -hmm. you know, 40,000 people in Hawaii. He once appeared in front of 180,000 people in Brazil, the only male, uh, single artist that ever, rock groups have done that, but not a solo singer. You know, he, he was an amazing talent, but it was he fearful, but he faced his fears. He never ran from his fears. And when we go toward our fears, they become a little bit less than what they were. It's only when you run from your fear that it gets greater and greater and greater. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I I used to, uh, I I tell young people that want to speak in front of an audience, if I had to get up in front of an audience when I first started out on a Friday, on Monday, I was already sweating it. I was at home, you know. Now, what I learned was the power of your subconscious mind, whatever the mind can see and believe it will achieve. I started to see myself out there, and I tell young comedians this all the time. You know, what you do, when normally when public speaking, when you're new at it and you got it, Speak, you start thinking of all the negative things that could happen. Well, what if this happens? What if that happens? What what if I, I forget? And what if I did? Now, when you do that, you you start thinking of failure. Your heart starts to pound. Your hands start to sweat. Why? The subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between truth or fiction. It only knows what you program into it by images. Mm-hmm. So it reacts to the image you program into it. So if you see yourself up there failing, all of a sudden your heart's pounding. Your hands sweating because your subconscious mind said, oh, I see you're failing. So. I tell young students all the time, cancel that. See yourself out there having the time of your life, enjoying it. People are laughing. They're smiling at you. You're smiling at them. You're really having fun. You're having fun with this talk you're going to give. See it. See the people reacting positively to it, you know, because the subconscious mind said, oh, that's where you want me to go. You know, so I, I be, that's how I, when I would walk out in front of audiences. I would always pretend when that light hits me, a calm is gonna come over me. When I get to that podium or that lectern, or when I get to my microphone, as it comes, when I get to a calm is gonna come over me. You know, I saw that, I felt that, and I believe that. You know, today I'm a very relaxed performer. I, I can hardly wait to get out there sometimes, you know. But again, facing your fears, you know, you see, all the prayers in the world are not worth a a penny unless you have action. You know, you must have action. You know, there's a great old joke that this guy, you know, um, you know Max or whatever his name was, Max kept saying, "God, please let me win the lottery." God, please let me win the lottery. And the week went by, he didn't win. Next week, he's on his knees. God, please let me win the lottery, please. And the next week, he didn't win. But next week, please, God, please let me win the lottery. And a voice from heaven said, "You know, Max, meet me halfway. Buy a ticket."
1: <laughs> I love that. Yeah,
0: it's it's an old, joke. but the point is, you've got to take okay. You know, uh, you know, God will answer your prayers, but you've got go to go. You, you can't lay in bed and say, "I'm waiting for someone to knock on my door and, and bring it to me." You got to, you know. The Lord helps those who help themselves. Remember that line: "The Lord helps those who help themselves." You know, got to take action. I give I give, a, I give a, a, a thing here that I, I want to repeat to you. I do sometimes. I at the end of a class, I'll do. I'll say to them, "I'll say, look, before this is over, I'm going to give you the secret." Everybody's looking for the secret. I'm going to give it to you at the end of this talk that I'm giving you. And at the end I say, and here's the secret. The secret is you. You're the secret. This is your vehicle. You can do whatever, you know, you can do whatever you want. This is your vehicle. You're the secret. You know, you you know, and you have to work on these. And you know, you exercise physically. If I say to a class, you know, I want you to get physically fit, they all say, I know how to do that. One word, exercise. I say, okay, I want you to get mentally fit. And they stare at me. It's the same thing. One word, exercise. Exercise the mind the way you exercise the body. Mm-hmm. I was in Cedars-Sinai Hospital last, last late August, September, with COVID. And I thought that for, I had COVID for 14 days and it wasn't getting better or it went into viral pneumonia. I'm laying at Cedars-Sinai Hospital the first day and I, Robbie, am sick. And I've been through some tough things in my life but I've never felt that bad and I'm laying there and, and temperature and and, and, and everything. And I wasn't in ventilation or anything like that or a ventilator, but, but, and I'm laying there and, and the nurse, I'm in a quarantine room. Nurses can come in, but they have to leave. And the second day, I'm not feeling better. And I said, you know what? I can't just lay here. I couldn't read or watch TV. I couldn't concentrate. I said, I can't just lay here. I got up and I walked to the door and I'd walk all the way to the bathroom. Then I'd walk to the door in the bathroom, 25 steps each way. I did that 10 times a day. And when I got into the bathroom after my walk was completed, I looked in the mirror and I had five mantras that I would say, and I said it each one five times. I said, day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. And I would put the emphasis on a different word as an actor would do. I'd say, Day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. And I'd say, day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. Day by day, in every way, I'm getting better and better. I say that five times. I'd say, I feel happy. I feel healthy. I feel terrific five times. I'd say, my mind is constantly in tune with the positive. It is bright, cheerful, enthusiastic, and full of good, positive thoughts and ideas. I'd say that five times. I had five of those mantras. So I felt like I was fighting back physically and mentally. Because, you know, uh, and and then I'll, I'll tell you so I tell the class that you're the secret. You know, you're the secret. And, and I say, here's the vowels. I want you to remember, A-E-I-O-U. Okay, A-E-I-O-U. A, action. Take immediate action. Every thousand mile journey begins with the first step. That's A. E, enthusiasm. Be enthusiastic about any endeavor. Emerson said, nothing can be achieved without enthusiasm. Be enthusiastic. I, inspire Inspire others to become all they can be. Small people belittle your ambitions. Successful people want you to be successful, also. You know, they inspire. Oh, outlaw, outlaw negative thoughts that uh, can weaken you. Outlaw, you know, avoid. wisdom is avoiding all the thoughts that can weaken you. I want to repeat that: wisdom is avoiding all the thoughts that can weaken you. You know the thoughts that weaken you. You know the past. Rejections, the heartaches, the failures. When you think about those thoughts, they can weaken you. So, wisdom is avoiding all the thoughts that can weaken you. And you be unwilling. Once you set a goal, if it's a noble endeavor, then be unwilling to give up your dream, especially when the going gets tough. So, that's A E I O U.
1: Yeah, awesome.
0: Well, you know, here's the greatest thing that can ever happen to a human being is to find the work that you love. You know, uh, uh, I, I wrote a poem. Well, it's in the book. You read the book. It's called "The Sound of Laughter." I'm not going to do it for you, but uh, but uh, in the end, I say, you know, that, that, that find the work that you love because that's really the key. If you find the work that you love, what you do in life is a service to humanity. Service to humanity is the greatest work of life. If if you if you um, if what you do makes people feel better for having had your service, you know. As a comedian, I tell young comedians all the time, do you know you're in the greatest profession on the planet? Think about what I'm about to tell you. The number one fear, they, the, the insurance companies around the world did a survey for eight years of the 10 fears of man. Death was fourth. Pain was second. Getting up in front of an audience was the number one fear of mankind. If you can get up in front of an audience and you can talk about being a house painter for an hour or being a, a hypnotist for an hour or be, being a, a lawyer, You know you're in less than one percent of the population of the world if you can get up and make people laugh for one hour you're in less than one millionth of one percent of the population of the world do you know how lucky you are do you know how fortunate you are that you found this profession don't tarnish that by destroying you know your brain with alcohol and drugs and what have you because you have this great gift laughter is healing that's not a theory anymore that's not a theory. It's yeah, laughter is healing. We've all we've always known that laughter is a psychological deterrent. You know that the brain can't think of two thoughts at the same time. So if you're watching a comedian perform or you're listening to a comedy record and you're laughing, you're not. You know it's so it's a psychological deterrent. Laughter, we, we know that. But now we know that laughter is physiologically therapeutic because of Norman Cousins, the editor of Saturday Review many years ago, had a physical illness, a heart ailment that doctors told him that. It was stress that brought it on and that he didn't have long to live. He laid in the hospital and he thought, negative input, stress made me ill, Then positive input could make me well. So he checked out of the hospital and he'd only watch I Love Lucy reruns, Candid Camera, Three Stooges, Marx Brothers. He would only listen to comedy albums. He didn't watch the evening news. He didn't pick up the papers. He just watched funny things. He laughed himself back to health. He lived 27 years after the doctors told him he was going to die. Because of him, UCLA did a lot of research on what happens to the human body when you laugh, that when you laugh heartily, and sometimes when you laugh so hard, and after the laugh you're, oh, and the sense of well-being comes over you, you have tears in your eyes, and the sense of well-being comes over you, your body's going through an actual chemical change. That When you have a hearty laugh, they, UCLA found that endorphins are released from the brain into the bloodstream chemicals. So laughter is not only a psychologically a deterrent, it's physiologically therapeutic. So comedians are physicians of the soul. So if you want to call me Dr. Dreesen, it's okay with me, Robbie. (laughs) All
1: right, Dr. Dreesen.
0: (laughs) The point of that is how important laughter is in life. And by the way, the greatest gift that God can bestow upon a human being, Robbie, is a sense of humor. And by my humble definition, a sense of humor is not when you have the ability to laugh at other shortcomings and misfortunes. It's when you have the ability to laugh at your own, that you're, you know, that you're the butt of the joke. It's okay to laugh at yourself. It's great to teach your children a sense of humor, a sense of humor. You know, how how do you teach children that? When you do something stupid and dumb, you you went to the grocery store and you went to reach up for a can of peas and you lost your balance and they all fell on top of you and your dress went over your head or whatever, you know, (laughs) and you come, you tell the kids that guess what dumb thing I did today. They laugh because they say it's okay to laugh at yourself. Yeah, That's the greatest gift. You know, I think if psychiatrists would probably tell us the number one, problem with most of their patients is we take ourselves too seriously.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. We have tons of clients who have that challenge and it can totally sabotage them getting their goal because they'll fixate on the one thing that went wrong instead of laughing it off and learning from it and refocusing. So yes, I'm with you.
0: It's real easy to go into the woe is me, to become the victim. I teach all children I teach all children in in schools and stuff, I don't care what your ethnicity, what your religion is, you are not a victim, you're a victor. Don't let anybody ever put you in that victim mode. See, that victim is, oh, what a safe place. See, it's not my fault. Both my parents are alcoholic. I lived in a shack. You know, five of us slept in one bed at one time. We had no bathtub, no shower, no hot water. So if I end up in prison or a failure, it's not my fault. See, I was a victim of all these poor things. Bull, bull. You're a victim or don't let them, when, when you're a victim, it's safe there. You don't have to go out there and, and face the reality. You don't have to go out there and face your fears. Stay in that victim mode and, 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 and it's safe. But then you're not living life to its fullest.
1: That's right. And how different our world would be if people were raised to, and our culture supported people being that way. I think it's very unfortunate that the culture is going in the direction of blaming and people being victims and, and rewarded for that for their own good.
0: Yeah, or we do. You know, I, I played the sports all my life, and I still do. You know, I still, still compete in some stuff. But you know, for for all of us to get trophies was the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You have to learn that some of us come up short, and some of us are more gifted. There were athletes far more gifted than me, and 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 I was envious of them sometimes because they could run faster and throw harder and hit harder. You know, but that's life, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you and know, it gives it gives you something to reach for would be kind of boring if you were the best at everything all the time
0: you know something i tell my class and you may you may cut this out or you may keep this in but i hope you keep it in i was teaching and uh talking to an all-male class a while back and and uh i was having fun with them telling jokes and everything and having am fun with them. but then the, at that time there was a guy in, in all the newspapers that he was 32 years old and his parents it, it took him eight years to get him out of the house he would not leave the house Eight years, and they finally got a court order to get him out of the house. He was 32 years old. He wouldn't leave his parents. They got a court order, and and it was in the news, so I was making jokes about it. And I said to the kids, I said to the young guys, I said, how long do you think you should stay with your parents? And one boy raised his hand. He said, so we're 50 or 60 if we want to. And I said, really? And some of the other kids laughed, and I said, how many of you others think of that? I said, "No, wait. I said, why do you say that? I said to him, he said, because we didn't ask to be here. We didn't ask to be here. And I said, how many of you out there believe that? And some of the kids raised their hands. I said, you didn't ask to be here? I don't want to give you a biology lesson. I said, but when the male and the female make love, from the male comes 5 million seeds. Did you know that? Two and a half million die instantly, the other millions die along the way. And soon there's only 100,000 seeds left, and then there's 50,000, then there's 100 seeds left. There's only five seeds left. Four, three, two, one, you, you, you don't ever tell me you didn't ask to be here. You fought to be here. I said, I'm in a room full of winners. Applaud yourselves. You all won. And they all applaud and everything. I said, you're a winner. You were born a winner. You're not a victim. You were born a winner. Now, what are you going to do about
1: it? Awesome. I love that. And it's amazing how these stories, all these stories you're telling, if you grab people at just the right time, it can change their whole view of everything.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I found that when I was knocked to my knees, there was only one other thing to do is pray. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, so you, when you're on your knees, what else are you going to do? But I, I mean, I really do believe that, that um, you know, don't give up. I mean, we, we, you know, if you, especially if you have a noble endeavor, you don't give up. You, you find out how other people got through what you're going through. You, um, you just, you know, it, it, it's your blink of an eye on this planet, you know and and have fun with it have fun with the failures have fun some of some of the biggest um best jokes i've ever written are about things that i failed you know
1: and knowing that it's just a blink of an eye makes it a lot easier to have a sense of humor cuz you realize it's really not much in the in the grand scheme of things
0: no it's re- it's really not you know and and you know it, it's it's all about and, and to me it's just it's all about love you know it's all about you know, find the work that you love, and, and and if you love, you know, it's the most powerful thing on the planet. If, if if you love your work, how much of a joy it is to go to work every day. You know, love your family, being around your family. Um, you know, it, it, it isn't it isn't about all the, the 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 awards you receive, all the money you ac- accumulated, all the property you own. Doesn't mean anything in the end. It's all about memories. It's all about you know make some good. In the end, all you'll have is memories. Make some real good ones.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That would, that you shared with us so many great and inspiring stories and wisdom. And it it's so interesting to me how clearly you've studied some hypnosis because a lot of the the way that you're looking at things and the way you're interacting with life very much reflects what we teach our clients when we when we hypnotize them. So it's uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing to to just hear this amazing life experience you have combined with this, with this way of looking at things.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and, and, uh, years ago, and, and I know you're ready to wrap up here, but uh, I'm with you for as long as you want me. But um, years ago, I was on a TV show, uh, ABC show with two young, two women. They wrote a book called Healing the Child Within. And I found it fascinating. And, and, and I read the book and, and basically it was saying that inside all of us is this child, little Robbie you know, and whenever we feel anxiety or fear, it's usually in the stomach, right? Or outward, you know, you you see older people, they go into a fetal position and they rock, you know, they're rocking that child within them that's full of fear. You know, there's a child inside all of us. And the book basically, and I'm paraphrasing, but it basically said that, like, I I have, you know, little Robbie, you know, sometimes if you're going through fears, you you think, well, adult Robbie, I'm not afraid of this. I've had other challenges in my life and I faced them, you know, and I'm going to do something the child in you is fearful because a child doesn't really trust adults because adults lied to her. Adults, you know, maybe sometimes hit her or did something. So little Robbie doesn't trust adults, and she doesn't really trust uh, adult Robbie because you got in some relationships that maybe she thought, okay, now we're going to be taken care of, but then you left that relationship. Now little Robbie is fearful. So what you have to learn, you know, is whenever I used to hear, you cannot love another till you learn to love yourself. I always thought that was kind of narcissistic. I mean, what do you mean? What do you just stand in front of the mirror after you get out of the shower mm-hmm. and say, I love you? That's what, what I realized, loving yourself is healing the child within, that you take little Robbie out and you know, you, you set her in front of you and say, look, I know you and I love you. I know you for what? First of all, let me digress. What is the number one fear of all children? Abandonment. Mm-hmm. What if our parents were not here? When you're five or six or eight or 10 years old, that's terrifying to think that one day you you wouldn't be without your mom and dad. They're like the, the gods of your universe. So abandon them. So what you take this child out to assure them, you say, little Robbie, I know you for what you are. You're a beautiful little girl, and I love you, and I will never leave you. Grandparents are going to pass away and leave us. Parents are going to pass away. Lovers, husbands maybe might leave us, but I will never leave you because I love you, and I know you for what you are. You're a sweet, loving little child. And trust me, I will never leave you. You know, when you can assure that child within, you're healing that child within. That's when you can start to learn to love the universe and love yourself. You know, those fears realize those fears are coming from the child in you. The adult in you is going to handle this. Mm-hmm. You know, there were when we when I was early in going out on stage, little Tommy was scared to death. What if you don't do well? What if they don't like you? What if they boo you? And I'd say, well, well calm down, little Tommy. I'm going to handle this from here. Adult time is going to take over from here, you know. But when I get out there and it's going good, I want you to come out and have some fun with me. Let, let the child in you come out, you know. But that was a great lesson.
1: Yeah, so you're integrating the child and the adult together when you're when you're really shining and and connecting and giving to the audience.
0: Oh, yeah. Do you, you, you know what I always say to comedians? Remember the fable about the emperor and his clothing? Mm-hmm. He, he was talking the tailors, that you have the finest wardrobe. Only a fool a, a fool can't see this wardrobe. the king didn't want to admit that he was, he was a fool. So, oh, yes, it looks very nice. Now he's going to show this wardrobe to the entire kingdom, and they're all people aligning the streets, and he's walking down the street with no clothes on, and they're saying, oh, I see it. Oh, yeah, that's a beautiful wardrobe. And finally, a little boy said, he doesn't have any clothes on. And they said, did you hear what that child said? And he said, the little boy said, he doesn't have any clothes on. And finally, an adult said, you know something? I don't see any clothes either, and, and before you know it, they all get aware. That's who the comedian is—that child who exposes those mm. who try to, you know, through comedy, through humor. Right, you know. they're
1: willing to take that risk and say it like it is, and yeah. get people to actually laugh.
0: Well, you know, you know, I, they used to say to me that I wasn't a political comedian. I said many—I did sixty-one appearances on the Tonight Show. And, you know, you had to do a new six minutes every time you did the Tonight Show. You had to come up with new material. But I could do a political joke with fun and and, and the audience, you know, and, and I could get a laugh, but they'd walk away thinking. And I'll give you an example. Years ago, there was a um, a, a teacher. I was going on the Tonight Show. And a couple of days in, earlier in the paper, there was a, a teacher, a, a male who was gay. And he was out of the closet and said he was gay. This is back in the day when people didn't come out with that. But he was teaching math or something. But he was admitted; he was gay. Well, a lot of the, the parents and stuff were trying to get him out of the school system because he was. They felt, felt that he's gay. He may influence their heterosexual children to be gay. And I thought that's the most ab- absurd thing I've ever heard of. Because if that's true, then why couldn't a heterosexual teacher, you know, influence a gay kid not to be gay? <laughs> I mean, by his teaching math, it was so absurd. So I went on the Tonight Show and I said, I said, you know, one of my lines was that night. I said, I moved out here and I'm real concerned about the school systems out here because I found out all the teachers are heterosexual and I've got a son who's gay. You know, now the audience didn't quite get it, but Johnny Carson laughed and laughed because he got it. You know, now I don't have a son who's gay, Mm -hmm. but I was just making that point politically, you know, Uh, so, so you can do you can do it, you know. I did a lot of other things like that, you know. Yeah,
1: you can get away with a lot yeah. by doing it that way. Yeah.
0: Meanwhile, people are on their way home saying, What well, was that funny? And you know something? That makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. Many many a truth is said in jest, you know.
1: For sure. So why don't you share with people how they can access your book and learn more about your services? You do corporate events and trainings and you help people in schools. And so just share how people can get in touch with you and and the kinds of things you can offer.
0: Obviously, again, I'm a stand-up comedian, first, last and all. You can go to my website, tomdreason.com. Of course, that's D-R-E-E-S-E-N. Everybody spells my name wrong. They put two S's in there, but it's only got one d-r-e-e-s-e-n.com or you can go to amazon and get my book still standing my journey from streets and saloons to the stage and sinatra at amazon or at barnes and noble stores but amazon you know people are telling me they're ordering it and, and, and pat myself on the back forgive me but i've got over 125 star reviews on my book now on amazon uh people are enjoying it i'm an avid reader so i like to read books and nothing I like better than find a page-turner. And people are saying that about my book, that it was a page-turner. Because I've I read books sometimes in three weeks and sometimes in two nights. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I read your entire book, and I really enjoyed it. There were so many interesting moments. And, and you are a really excellent storyteller. So I would strongly recommend people get your book and enjoy reading it.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, Thank you.
1: Join us for next week's podcast where hypnotist Trisha Fuller will teach us about how hypnosis can help with managing pain and how hypnosis helps with childbirth. And if you're wanting to discover more about how hypnosis training can help you, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule your free consultation. Remember to click the button to subscribe, share this podcast with a friend, and please Leave us a review so you can help others to benefit from this podcast too. Until next week. You've been listening to The Hypnosis Show with Robbie Spear-Miller. Tune in next time to learn more about how you can change your life with hypnosis. And if you are interested in learning more about training opportunities, go to hypnosistrainingcanada.com and schedule a free
0: consultation.